Welcome to the Highland Baptist Church Network and the teaching ministry of our church. If you have any questions, please reach out to our website, hbcmolino.com or 850-587-5174. Now it's time for today's message. I hope that if you've not trusted in Jesus, you would today. But for those of us who have and have trusted him for very long, we understand that song is so very true, right? Through it all, we have learned to trust in Jesus through it all. I have a question for you. How do you treat people? How do you treat them? How do you treat people who are like you? How do you treat people who are not like you? What would you do in this situation? I want you to take and pay attention up here on the screen for a short little video clip. you one thing I learned from that video is that if I'm ever in Paris I'll make sure I wear a suit (laughs) this morning we're going to take a look at the actions that God takes to show who he favors now that was a little video clip once again that was from Paris France that's why they have the old the little subtitles there so you know what they're saying, unless you took French, which I did not. Um, And what I want you to understand this morning is this. So many times, if we're not careful, what we do is exactly what they did. We look at somebody. That was, by the way, I didn't go into it. It's a little longer video, um, the original. And I say, no, that that suffices. It's the same guy. It's the same guy dressed in different clothes doing the same thing on the same sidewalk, okay? And he's dressed first looking maybe like he may be homeless. And the second time, he's dressed in a nice suit looking like he's maybe a businessman or something. 
And so many times what we do is we judge people by the outside. I love the children's message today. Sometimes we judge people just by what it looks like, not realizing that we're all of the same value to Jesus because he did this for us. We all have the same value, all the same worth. Please understand that this is not nearly as important as this. I'm going to say it again, everybody paying attention. This is not as important as this. I think sometimes people get caught up in the outward appearance, caught up in the exterior trappings, and they forget what God said to Samuel. Remember what God said to Samuel? I'm going to get to the message in a second. This is the pre-message. God's told Samuel to go anoint another king, right? And God's told him where it's going to be. It's going to be at the house of Jesse. He goes to Jesse's house. As he's there at Jesse's house, all of these sons come by Samuel. The first one comes, God says no. The second one comes, God says no. All the way down through six of them. As a matter of fact, these are big, strapping young men. And Samuel's like, my goodness, Lord, these are all, they would all make my grade. They all would be who I would choose. And God says, nope, none of those are it. So he looks at Jesse and says, Jesse, is there any other son that you have? They say, there's no one out there in the field, but he's a, he's a little short runt. He is the runt of the group. Now understand, this is the BV, Brian's version, okay? So this is just me giving you the little paraphrase of how it goes. And so Jesse says, yeah, I've got one. He's a runt. He's out there in the field, and he sends him to come in, and, and he comes in. And as soon as he comes in the door... Samuel said, I think I miss God. This cannot be the one right here. He's short. He's ruddy, which means he had red hair. Nothing against red hair, but he's short. He's ruddy. All this kind of stuff. And I just don't say I can be the right one. And God says, he's the one. And Samuel's like, on the inside, I'm sure he's like, what? Lord, this cannot be the one. Look at him. Just, have you seen him? He can't be the one. God says, yes, he is. And he anoints David to be the king of Israel. You see, Samuel was going off the outward look. He was going off of what the guy looks like. Not looking at the heart. And see, that's what God told Samuel. He said, Samuel, I'm going to teach you something right now, son. You look at the outward appearance, but what God looks at and what he cares about is the heart. And aren't you glad? I'm glad. Hey, God would, if God looked at the outward appearance, all of us are in need of help. All of us are. But he didn't do that. He looked right into our hearts. So as we look at James chapter 2 today, I want you to understand that's kind of the whole premise of the message today. Beware of favoritism. James chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. If you'll please stand with me in honor and reverence for me of God's holy, inspired, infallible, inerrant word. 
James chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit at my footstool, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? which he promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law, and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit murder, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak, and so do, as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment the grass withers and the flower fades but where of our lord shall stand forever father we come before you this morning and we thank you so much for your precious word and i pray today for all of us here that we would have your eyes your ears and your heart i pray we would see people the way you see people I pray, dear God, we will listen to people the way you listen to people. Lord, I pray we would love people the way you love people. I pray right now you'd have me behind the cross. I can preach your word with passion and conviction without any reservation. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Three actions that show who God's favors. First of all, faith over favoritism. Faith over favoritism. James now becomes more and more specific in his warnings and his instructions. Why? Why did James write in this way? Well, it's very obvious that he was displeased with the inconsistencies among the brethren. He attacked the attitudes these believers displayed toward others and then complained of their failures to act as they should. He first condemned the attitude of favoritism and gave suggestions on how to combat this obstacle of spiritual maturity. One must learn to accept others, whatever their status, whatever their class. He must show courtesy to all, compassion for all, and consistency to all. Equity, love, and fidelity are the vital ingredients. So first of all, verses 1 through 4, this section could be entitled, if you want to entitle it this, courtesy to all. Being courteous to all. James is now addressing the brethren, the brothers and sisters in Christ. James is not talking about belief of Jesus, but belief in Jesus Christ. It's all about the glory of God. Listen to John 1, verse 14. He says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The key command in these verses here is this. 
don't show favoritism. Don't show favoritism. I'll tell you something, as a pastor um, for over 20 years now, pastoring full-time before that, uh, youth ministry, college ministry, so been pastoring longer than some of you have been alive, okay, and been in ministry longer than some of you have been alive. I know that. I understand that. And not as long as some of you have been alive, okay? As I've been doing that, one thing I've enjoyed about this time is see how different things change that is for the better and for the good. When I first started going to church years and years and years ago, the men always wore suits, and the women always typically wore dresses. Suits and dresses, that's what you always wore. Now, I'm not saying anything about that time period, okay? I don't think anything's wrong with their heart at all. But I will say this. I'm so glad today we don't judge people based on what they wear. How small-minded is that to judge somebody based on what they wear? It really is small-minded to say, I'm going to look at somebody based on what they wear, and I'm going to judge them off of that. I'm so glad that here at Highland, when you come through the door of the church, it doesn't matter whether you're wearing jeans and cowboy boots or wearing a full suit or wearing a dress or slacks or whatever, that we're going to welcome you like Jesus welcomed people. We're going to love you like Jesus loved people. The key command, again, is don't show favoritism. Look at this teaching. It comes all the way from Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 15. Leviticus 19, verse 15. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. It's repeated here and then you also read about it in the great book of Romans. Romans chapter 2 verse 11 says, For there is no partiality with God. No partiality with God. Colossians 3.25, But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. What's the point of all these verses? Well, the point is that God does not show favoritism, and neither should we. It's about faith over favoritism. Then in verse 2 and 3, James gives them a scenario. There's obviously well-to-do man that walks in, obviously sits down, and the poor man walks into the synagogue, okay? Now, this is interesting here. The words here are very interesting. Many times, you know, I've been here for a while. I don't go into a lot of the Greek and Hebrew. I do myself as I study, but I don't do it here in the worship service. But right now, I'm going to let you know a little something. In the Greek, what it says here is where it says about sitting at the footstool. You stand there, or sit here at my footstool. It means literally the rich man, we have, we have seats up here. Used to, we had seats up here. We have seats back there now. You sit down, and when you sat down, there would be a footstool for the rich man. And literally, what it says in the Greek is that that poor man to sit under the footstool. Under it. If that's not showing favoritism, I don't know what is. And look, we just came through a political season, and many times we show favoritism in that way. Show favoritism in that way. Let me tell you something. Jesus, this may shock a lot of people, Jesus is not one of our political parties. He's not Republican. He's not Democrat. He's not Libertarian. He's not Independent. He doesn't fall into our American politics. He is Lord of all. 
He's Lord of the Republicans. He's Lord of the Democrats. He's Lord of the Independents. He's over all of us. That's right. And when we get caught up on that, we begin to show partiality. And God says, no, you don't show partiality in that way. The question here in the Greek assumes an affirmative answer. Let's look down into verse number four. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? It's kind of like when you catch your child in the proverbial cookie jar. Did you eat the cookies? <laughs> okay. You see the crumbs all over the face, the chocolate's on there, it's on their hands. Uh-uh. You're not, you're not expecting them to say, no, yes, I did, I ate them. And here, James is expecting, have you not shown part? Yes, we have. We've shown partiality. Now, why did James write about this? He wrote about it because it was an issue in the church. There was an issue when someone walked through the door based on what they looked like. Oh, man. Hey, excuse me for a second. You guys here, scoot out of the, move out of the way. Hey, they came to a Baptist church. We don't have to worry about the front row, okay? They could all come down the front row. But, hey, move out of the way here because, hey, here comes Mr. Something down the aisle. Here comes Miss Something down the aisle. And they're going to come and sit right now in front. I want to tell you something, what Jesus said also. This is James's, James is Jesus' half-brother, okay? Same mother, different father. So James is the half-brother of Jesus. James knows what Jesus taught because he's around Jesus all of his life. You remember the time that Jesus is in the temple? He's sitting down front. I'm messing up the guys on the camera today. Sorry, guys. But he's sitting down front like this. He's sitting down here, and they're coming down giving the offering. There's one thing I want you to know. God knows what you give. He knows what you don't give. He's sitting there watching the offering, and, man, there are these fat cats coming down there, and they are giving a lot of change. They want to hear it jingle. See, back then you wanted to hear it when it hit the plate. And so they would make it just ring, man. It would just ring. Matter of fact, some of them were so wealthy, they had their people carrying their money down there, and they would come down there and just dump it in there, and they'd watch them give it and everything like that. And I'm sure they'd look at Jesus and go, yeah, I gave you a little extra day, Jesus. And so then there's others that keep coming down there, and all of a sudden this widow comes down there. This widow comes. I didn't know I was going to need it, but I'm going to use two of those pennies because that's what she does. It says she gives two mites, and if I remember right, because I've preached it before, taught it before, two mites actually was less than this. I think it was actually one cent would, would it be for us, even maybe less today in our society. Takes this and puts it in the plate. Jesus' disciples are there too. See, Jesus is there watching. His disciples are there watching. And Jesus says, to him, because one of them, I'm sure, said, hey, did you see Mr. Big Shot, how much he gave? I'm sure Judas said, hey, you see how much he gave Jesus? See how much he gave? See how much this person gave? And Jesus says, she gave the most. She gave the very most. Uh-uh, Jesus, you didn't see that. She gave the very most. She gave all that she had. We need to be careful. Be careful. Because Jesus, he turns everything upside down. That's why I said trying to live right side up in an upside down world, what Jesus does flips it all upside down. That was a little extra today for you.
didn't have that plan to say, saying, oh my goodness, it's okay, you'll get out of here before the game starts. Listen, here's the bottom line. Because of his, because of his favor in Christ, you have everything you will ever need. In Christ, you have everything you will ever need. Quit looking outside of Jesus. Quit looking for what you think you need in some other fix. Get your eternal fix from Jesus. The first action that shows who God favors is faith over favoritism. He says it's faith over favoritism, guys. It's not about looking at outward appearance. It's not looking at what someone's wearing. The second action is this. It's love over law. Love over laws, verses 5 through 7. Now, there's two different arguments against favoritism here. The first one is social, social argument. That's verses 5 through 7. And then the last point, we will see the moral argument against favoritism, which is verses 8 through 11. We'll look, a little, we'll look down through verse 13, but that's where you find these two different arguments that are given. James goes on to show why preferential treatment was wrong and offensive to God. He frames the answer with four questions that are asked in a way that an affirmative answer is expected. Look again, verses 5 through 7. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do, you dra- do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do you not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called. Believers belong to him, not to the rich exploiters. James's readers would have have to agree with these contentions and to recognize that insulting the poor and favoring the rich was wrong and totally unreasonable. So this next section here, courtesy for all in the first section, verses 1 through 4, this next section, you could name it, compassion for all. Compassion for all. Exodus 20, verses 4 through 6. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generations to those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Showing mercy to thousands. To those who love me and keep my commandments. Listen, once again, because of his favor in Christ, you have everything you will ever need. Everything you'll ever need. 1 Peter 4, verses 14 through 16. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. What James is saying is this. When you do show preferential treatment, or you care more about the law than you do love, you're living upside down. You need to get right side up and show love over law. Love somebody over law. Be compassionate to people. 
James is saying the very people that you show favor to, they're the very ones that are going to sue you at the drop of a hat. That's really what he's saying. He said, you mean to tell me you're going to show favoritism to these people who take you to court at the drop of the hat and they provide the hat? What are you doing? Is what he's saying. He's basically saying, here's your sign. What are you doing? What are you doing living like that? What are you doing that to show favorites to people? Show love over the law. The first action that shows who God favors is faith over favoritism. The second action that shows who God favors is love over law. Those who love more than they look at the law. Those who have faith and don't show favoritism. And then the third action is mercy over judgment. Mercy over judgment. Courtesy to all, verses 1 through 4. Compassion to all, verses 5 through 7. This final section could be entitled Consistency in All, verses 8 through 13. Now, in verses 8 and 9, the alternatives are clear. Love is right. Favoritism is sin. And James was optimistic. Uh, the if clause here. If you really fulfill the royal law. If you were here last week, I talked about royal water. You remember that? Royal water. And if you weren't here, I'll just kind of give you a little, uh, a little, uh, little um, update on that. Let you know what that was, okay? So in the royal water is this. It's the only service that literally will take and break down gold. It's called royal water. If you're a chemist or you took chemistry and you did well in it, then you may know that, okay? That's the only substance that will do that. It's acid that will do that. And so I talked about it right before the Lord's Supper, and I said the only thing that will take sin out of a person's heart is the royal blood of Jesus, okay? Now I want you to listen to this. The only law that's worth living in is the royal law. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The royal law. That law there, when you live in that way, when you love your neighbor as yourself, that takes and wipes away all prejudices. It wipes away all favoritisms. It wipes away all chiefs and bucks. Y'all, some of you care about today's game, some of you don't. But um, there are those here, I know that do, they got that just then. Uh, But it wipes away a lot of that in our lives When we live in this way, when we live in the royal law and we apply it to our lives, you cannot go wrong. You cannot go wrong when you live in that way. Where do you find this royal law in Scripture? Well, it's in two places, in the book of Leviticus and also in Matthew 22. In Leviticus 19.18, it says this, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Then Jesus, you know, he was asked, what's the greatest, you know, commandment and everything like that? So Jesus even repeated it in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. So Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. 
These two commands, I want you to picture uh, scales right here. Um, these two commands, you love the Lord your God by your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. The law and the prophets hang on those balances. It hangs there. That means that, you know, Jesus is so good. Jesus took ten commandments and willed them down to two. We, I'm going to say we, because if we live back then, we'd be part of the we. But those religious leaders back in the Old Testament, you know, I mean, you know how many commandments they came up with off of 10? 633. Kind of sounds like our government. Keep adding more and more and more and more to it. Ten commandments to 633. Jesus took 633 down to 10, down to 2. Matter of fact, he just took 10 down to 2. Because he knew better than the 633. Why is it called the royal law? In the Greek, royal, the word means royal or regal. But most importantly, it designated as the royal law because the king of kings is the one who asserted it. Because Jesus is the one who said it. Also because it is fit for a king... And most understand it as the king of all laws. Obedience to this law, non-preferential love, is the answer to preferential treatment of others. If you will just do this, if you will just love your neighbor as yourself, if you will love Lord your God, obviously, love Lord your God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, you'll be good. You'll be good. Don't worry about all the other stuff. Love God, love people. That's it. Love God, love people. Show compassion for people. Have a passion for God and show compassion for people. In verse 10, James knew there would be those who would say that this is prejudicial treatment of others. And it's not really a big deal. Then he explained the seriousness of pick and choose obedience. Look again. Forever shall keep the whole wall and yet stumble in one point. He is guilty of all. Hey, listen. I, I love. Don't you love these apps on your phones nowadays, you know? We went to Chick-fil-A the other night. And went to Chick-fil-A, you can actually go on the app. And you literally can say, I want this type of, let's say you want a spicy chicken sandwich, but I want deluxe. And instead of the fries, I want mac and cheese. And then I want a bottle of water. And then you can do all this stuff. You can take and pick and choose exactly what you want, exactly how you want it. And you can have it your way, even though it's at Chick-fil-A. Okay? So you can do it any way you want to do it. And we live in America where we think that's the way it ought to be, right? We all be able to do it any way we want to do it. I remember when the first cars came out that you, that you literally could pick and make it the way you wanted to make it, right? You, you could actually go and say, I want this way, this way, this color, this kind of interior. I mean, all this, you could do that. Now that's kind of just, you can, anybody can do that now. Because in America, we want to pick and choose and do what we want to do. What this says here, what James, the half-brother of Jesus, says, if you do that, if you say, I'm going to obey this part of the law, but not that part, you've broken all of it. You cannot pick and choose. You can't say, I'm going to do this, but not that. When you do this, but not that, you've broken both this and that. Total obedience is the key. You cannot pick and choose what you like. You've got to be obedient to the entire law. Listen to James chapter 1 and verse 25. 
But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. One of my favorite Old Testament prophets is Micah. Micah 7.18 says this, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He has not retained anger forever because he delights in mercy. Aren't you glad God delights in mercy? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what I deserve. I love God's mercy. Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So, fellow believers, we need to show mercy over judgment. Show mercy over judgment. What's the difference between grace and mercy? I just shared what mercy was. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do. Okay? We read about the virtue of mercy. Paul wrote about over in Romans. Romans chapter 12, verse 8. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now listen. I got this picture in my mind. Okay? I do that sometimes. I got this picture in my mind of someone showing mercy like this. Okay, here we go. You're never going to show mercy like that. When you show mercy, you show mercy with cheerfulness, with a happy heart. That's how you show mercy to somebody. Basically, it all boils down to this, loving like Jesus. We need to love better. It's time to ask the question, how can we love better? How can we love like Jesus loved? We need to love better. Well, let me let you let this video, short video, minute long, show you what I'm trying to say. What if we could love the way Jesus did? Passionately, faithfully, powerfully. What if the way we love could make a difference in the world around us? What if that love looked at everyone the way God does? A love which doesn't see the past, but is consumed by a desire to see people come to know Jesus. A love which is patient and kind, not envious or prideful. A love which puts others before ourselves, chooses peace over anger, love which protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. Do we love like this? Do we love like Jesus? Maybe it's time to ask a simple question. How can we love better? How can we love better? Show faith over favoritism. Show love over law. And finally, mercy over judgment. We need to love like Jesus loved. Because of his favor, in Christ you have everything you will ever need. The greatest love that was ever shown to the world was when Jesus came.
and he died on the cross for your sins and mine. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's another point to this message. He didn't look at us and say, they're still sinning, I'm not coming for them. Until they get cleaned up. Until they start to dress right, talk right, act right. Nope. He came when we were all sinners. And the Bible says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not by works, lest anyone should boast. If you've never placed your faith, your trust in Jesus, you can do that right now, today. You can do it right where you are. Just say, I trust you, Jesus. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Acts 16, verse 31. So you just believe on him today, and you will be saved. What about my sin? Guess what? Jesus likes to catch his fish before he cleans them. He'll deal with that sin in your life. Okay? You just come to Jesus. Everybody please stand. Everybody please stand. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. If today you would like to come to Jesus, you'd like to place your faith, your trust in him, then I want to encourage you to do that right now right where you are. Like I said just a minute ago, you can just trust him right now. Just say, I trust you, Jesus. Sometimes people, they want a little help, a little assistance. I'm going to give you that help, that assistance right now. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, not because you have to pray, but because that's how we talk to God is when we pray. And so if right now the words I say express what's going on in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit, you know that's what the Lord wants you to do. I want you to pray this from your heart to God's right now. Just say, dear Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you were buried and that you rose again on the third day. I believe you've ascended into heaven And that you will come back to get me one day. Jesus, the best way I know how, I place my faith, my trust in you. I believe on you, Jesus. Lord, I believe. Help me where I need help. Thank you for saving me. And I ask for you to help me. To live for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 